Hey, we've got uh, three episode three three parts to this episode, and I hope you'll enjoy this. Over the last year and a half, a lot of people that follow the ministries of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, both here and overseas, uh, have kept up with a with a really interesting and fascinating story that literally could have been plucked from the pages of the Book of Acts in the New Testament, and it's a story of a conversion of a young man who uh, had the gospel shared with him from one of our people. Uh, was given a New Testament in his in his language in in the uh, it was an Arabic New Testament and 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 a lot of uh, our followers have kept up with this story but we've used code names and initials and things like that because of security and this man's life is still in jeopardy in fact maybe more so now than it's ever been but the story of his conversion and then the last eighteen months of him literally putting his life on the line to make disciples of people in this, uh, in this Muslim world, uh, is, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And so I'm excited to share it with you. I had Bobby sit down with me and we spent a good bit of time. Uh, we actually spent several hours walking through, talking through the whole story and just sharing and reminiscing of, over what the last year has been like, but we've whittled it down to three episodes that are manageable and, uh, and, it, and basically, we're going to walk through the story of the last 18 months. Now, we've changed names of people and places. And so the, the man that we're going to be talking about, we're, we're calling him Amir in this uh, series of podcasts. And we're going to speak of this taking place in South Sudan. And so there's some other names and places that will be, uh, that will be changed. And that's for security purposes. And I think, especially when you get into the third and final episode, you'll see why that's so critical. But powerful story of redemption, salvation, uh, persecution, and not just the persecution of a believer, but the but the perseverance of his faith and true faith tested by fire. And I hope it'll be very inspiring. I hope it'll challenge and encourage you. And I hope it'll give you hope that the gospel is moving forward in all parts of the world and the gospel will prevail and will never be, it'll never be stopped. So hope you enjoy this. Uh, if, if, uh, if you would, I would ask you to, to share it and to pray and have those that you know who would to pray for this man, this brother, and the movement of over 100 believers now where there were none 18 months ago. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to No Sanity Required. From the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. Hey, glad you guys could join us, and I hope you're enjoying this series. Uh, oh, series, this, we're in our third part. We just started talking. We're doing this all in one day, in one one sitting, burning through a lot of coffee, and uh, just trying to tell a story with no time limit on it. So... Um, if you're, if you're picking this up, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the two previous episodes. It's critical that you do that for this to make sense because these episodes are building on each other. I want to start this by having Bobby talk a little bit about something that he brought up in the last episode, which was in the story, a mirror, uh, is used really three miracles because his mother's conversion. Right. So God uses a mirror to pray for uh, a little boy who had never spoken and the boy is given speech. And as a result, his family begins to follow Jesus. Right. They are from a different people group in the South. Entirely. 
And then there's a lady who's dying of AIDS. It uh-huh. is diagnosed right. medically, uh-huh. not by a witch doctor or uh-huh. a holy man. Like literally this is a right. Western medicine uh-huh. diagnosis at a hospital. She's dying of AIDS. Amir prays for her. She's right. healed. Mm-hmm. Different people group, not right. his people group. Right. And then he prays for his mother's healing uh-huh. and God heals her and she feels the power of the Lord in that and she comes to faith in Jesus. Right. So in that world now, you've got people from three distinct people groups and backgrounds who are now worshiping together in this new church movement of 125 people in the city. Mm -hmm. How rare is it that those people cross those lines? Uh, Uh, For this context in Sudan, it's unheard of. Unheard of. I mean... And I think what was great about it was they didn't even know what they were doing. I mean, we had never taught them that the gospel is only supposed to be within one people group and then to another people group. It just began to move between people groups seamlessly. And so you have uh, it starting out with one kind of um, with one group, but very, very quickly it just begins to move and flow into other groups. And so the gospel just begins to flow uh, through the city, picking up different people and individuals, couples and families, um, and it really did not appear, and this challenged everything that I've known from doing this you know, for over a decade, that the gospel was moving just as easily into other people groups as it was throughout one specific people group. So I, I think it's, again, we, we lose some of that in the West because you think, what is that like? Somebody from... Mm. South Carolina, somebody from Oklahoma, and somebody from Kansas. No, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Would it be like probably the closest thing we would find in the West? We would have to go back 150 years to Native Americans and say, okay, let's take the Plains tribes Mm -hmm. where you had the Comanche, the Apache, and they were constantly at at war with each other. Right. Um, But even then, it goes beyond that because you're talking about a deeply spiritual thing that's happening here so now in the story um this is this is taking us to last fall right i think we're Mm -hmm. up to last fall and at this point you guys you and dan are laying down uh doctrinal teaching you're basically putting him through bible college and Mm -hmm. seminary Mm -hmm. as a church planner right and the church has grown to 125 people in about six months Mm -hmm. in a city in south sudan that is pagan that is arabic that is islamic Mm -hmm. that is that is non-christian right and uh, and and I would again remind everybody we're using uh, we've changed names and places, so um, in this city where there were no there was no strong gospel presence, which is why y'all targeted this city. Mm-hmm. While when we, when when we're preparing to send and build the team right. with Snowbird people, mm-hmm. and we're like this is where we want to go. We're right. we're going to build Bobby's team. This partnership with Dan and his team. And there are multiple Snowbird right. people serving in this team. Mm-hmm. Six six people from Snowbird um, serving on this team. And the idea is because this is a dark place where the gospel has no real presence. Right. And now, organically and internally, it's it's the gospel is pulling people from different mm-hmm. backgrounds that would not in any way ever come together in any kind of friendship yeah. or fellowship. And it's joined them in a church of 125 people in this city led by this man who's a six-month-old Christian that you are now discipling. Exactly. <laughs> the, um, 
And so for many of these people in groups that were traditionally non-Christian, the gospel is just not accessible to them. But, I mean, in this city, you know, where the gospel is, it's, it's pretty much um, encapsulated in certain cultures and language. So there are churches and there are people groups that, um, that would consider themselves to be Christians or families that would consider themselves to be Christians, but it's just, it's insulated. Mm-hmm. So if you come out of a, if your cultural background is non-Christian, you really don't have access to the gospel um, uh, very, very easily. And so the gospel itself has is, is been encapsulated in certain uh, certain cultures or, or tribes. And so if you're not from a Christian, uh, a traditionally Christian culture, it, you don't have access to the gospel. You're not going to be able to find a, a Bible in your translation. You're not going to be able to find a church that speaks your same language. And so... And it's been that way um, as long as anybody can remember, certainly since colonial times where people groups were just basically uh, segregated and, and made to live in different areas of the, uh, of the country. You so, had, basically you had, depending on what country you go to in Africa, either the British, the French, or the Belgians were there at one point or another colonializing. Right. And in that, they did much what we saw in this country where we pushed Native Americans to certain places or reservations right. or mm-hmm. parts of the country. That's what happened there. Right. And so what we're seeing now, and, and this was not this, I mean, this multi-ethnic church did not come out of anything that Dan and I had been preparing or this did not emerge from a strategy that we had. We were just discipling, teaching doctrine, trying to keep pressure on the gospel. And from that, I mean, totally out of order from what we had, if we had planned it, it would not have happened like this. But the church goes multi-ethnic within its first six months. And uh, in a in a really big way. So right now we're across probably ten to twelve different different language family, different ethnicities are meeting together um, as worshiping communities. Okay, so now we're six months in. We've seen something happen that you guys could have never imagined or strategized or prepared for. God has superseded and gone above and beyond anything you could have expected. So things are going good at this point. Yeah, they're going great. But but then at what point did things, not that they stopped going great, but at what point did the next thing happen that really shook potentially the movement and the work? Yeah, it was the most terrifying week I've had in my life. We, that was um, last December, I believe. Yeah, that's right. We um, It was Tuesday, basically, Amir's family calls a council and the father comes in to say that they are going to do an honor killing. And when this happens, then the father finds out that there's also other people within this family who are now Christians as well. Um, it's an extremely dramatic scene. The mother herself really stood up for Amir. Um, it was very complex culturally. And I've heard the story many times, and I cannot figure it out. But on that day, they did not kill Amir. Um, the father decided to um, invite Amir to a house outside the city on that Friday in order to discuss what he said, in order to discuss um, Christianity further. Um, Because it was Thursday, Amir came to our house. It was Wednesday. Amir came to my house, and me and Dan, we sat down, we talked about everything we're opening up the scriptures. We're praying, trying to seek wisdom. 
And Dan and I both had grave reservations about him going to meet with his father outside the city. Um, On the next day. Right. Um, but Amir felt like that is what he needed to do. Um, and I remember you, I remember talking to you yeah. in that window and, mm-hmm. he, and you saying he felt like at this point the next big calling on his life was to clearly articulate right. the gospel to his father. To his father. And his father had agreed to take the Bible yeah. to that, mm-hmm. that day of that family right. meeting when, when they were basically mm-hmm. putting him on trial. Right. He agreed to take the scripture and read it. And right. Amir really felt like my dad is going to read the scripture and what happened to me is going to happen to him. And I'm going to go meet with him tomorrow yeah. and he's uh-huh. going to have embraced the gospel. Yeah, that was his hope and his prayer. And if not, I'm willing to die. Of course. Instead. Right, of course. And so uh, he goes outside of this home. He sits down with his father and they discuss a few things. But then his father basically says that he was, that he had to come back that to Islam, that he had to walk away from his new faith in Christ. Um, Amir refused. His father um, presented him with a pile of money, just put a pile of cash in front of him and said, if you, if you will leave Christianity, well, then this will be yours. He and, offers and him, when you say a pile of cash, you're talking $10,000? Yeah, no, I'm talking about in their money, a pile of cash. The equivalent of U.S. What would yeah, yeah, kind of to do a cultural equivalent. Yeah, he lays a million dollars out in front of a him. million yeah. dollars. I like stop what you're doing, listening to this right now. Here is a man who has been beaten, who has been tortured, who has been imprisoned, who has watched everything he has possessed, and 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 that was meager, be burned in the street, and now the one man in this world who's whose approval he had spent his whole life desiring is sitting across from him, puts a million dollars on the table and says, if you will return to Islam, I will be proud of you as a son. And this million dollars is yours. And you're not only brought back into the inheritance, right? But it's, you're brought back immediately and in a big way. And his father has this kind of money because he's a warlord. He is trying, I believe he is, I don't want to get into details because of sensitivity to those that might listen and, and we don't want to, we got to be careful, but this man has made a lot of money doing bad things. Yeah. Very bad things. And a mirror now is looking at a, the equivalent of, let's say a million us dollars yeah. and open arms to come back into the father's approval. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, he offers him home part in the business. He offers him positions, anything that the father could think of. Then he, um, and Amir refuses every time. Every time he says, I'm only choosing Jesus. I'm only choosing Jesus. Um, and he believed that that was how he would win his father to Christ. Mm. Um, and after that, he, uh, his father says, all right. He says, our discussion's done, and your ride is uh, outside. And there was a couple of guys out there with the Land Cruiser ready to uh, supposedly take him home. But they didn't take him home. No, so he basically he gets in the car. Amir realized very quickly that uh, things were not uh, going, going very well. And they put, uh, basically they restrained his feet um, and um, they drove him outside the city to a, a place of torture. I mean, it was a house that the father was familiar with. And during that drive... He got a text out 
who you were dating. Yeah, yeah. As soon as he knew what was going on, um, still at his phone. At this yeah, point. he still at his phone, and he just sent a, a text to us saying what was happening. And I think the text just said, um, "They've chained my feet, and they're taking me outside the city." He was blindfolded, but he could tell when he went over the bridge. Mm. There's a, um, a big bridge that heads outside of the uh, the capital of Sudan, and when he goes across the river, he knew that he had been taken outside the city, mm. and that. That's it. He's, he's that was the, it. That was it. I'm 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 in shackles. I'm blindfolded. Right. By a couple of guys I know to be henchmen for my dad. Absolutely. Yeah. I know where this is headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He gets a text out to y'all. Gets you a text immediately out. called me. Right. We talked mm-hmm. right then, and we gathered the church together mm-hmm. and began to pray. Yeah. And yeah. I went on to Facebook, and and speaking in code because a lot of people had mm-hmm. followed the story. Right. And I put out a plead. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, it's interesting, Bobby. I remember having some people on Facebook challenge the authenticity of the right. story. I remember mm-hmm. people saying, oh, you know, what? this is not true. First off, he's not mm-hmm. telling us where it's at. Second, why don't, why don't, why would we not call the FBI or the CIA and get the government mm-hmm. involved? And why this people that just don't understand, right. this is the way the world works. Right. In a place like that, this is the way the world works. And, and uh, but it was so cool because there was this much louder volume of people saying, "You don't know what you're talking about." We're praying. We're praying. Mm-hmm. People started to chime in, literally from all over the world. Mm-hmm. We were we were getting messages. Right. We're meeting in our church to pray. There were local right. churches here, multiple local churches. One church over in Hayesville, mm-hmm. um, and and the pastor is a, is a friend of mine. And then there's a man that lives down the road. Who's like a deacon at that church works for the local power company. And I was talking to those two guys and Scotty Baker goes to church there. Right. The, he's, he's one of our mechanics mm. and that church paused on Sunday circled wow. and held hands. Mm. Um, and this is a church that's not affiliated with any denomination mm-hmm. that we're partnered mm-hmm. with. They circled in prayer and prayed for Amir for his life to be right. spared. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened all over the country. It happened in Europe. There were churches right. in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, literally all over the world. This was happening that people were praying for him. So as he's being carried over the bridge and into this, this house that right. you were just about, I want you mm-hmm. to talk about the father's history with this house, taking him in this house, literally thousands of brothers and sisters in right. the world are praying that his life would be spared. So he's going, he ends up in this house. And right. this house had some significance because of his father's history with it. Right, yeah. The house had been there for a while. Um, basically, there were guards there at the house. There was um, had no electricity, no water. I mean, it was totally off the grid. Um, but through, you know, the difficult history of South Sudan and the um, kind of waves of coups and um, uh, rebellions, this house had been was known to be basically a house where people go in and people do not come out. Um, so Amir was taken in. Basically, he was um, he was restrained. He was put in a room that was about uh, three feet by three feet, but it was maybe uh, seven feet high. At the top of it, it had a um, an eye bolt with a rope through it, and there was a noose that hung down in the center of the room. So when he wasn't being tortured, that was the room that he was in. Um, and every day they would bring him out and they would beat him. Um, and 
he was beaten severely, and they told him every time, um, you just have to walk away from Christ, leave Jesus behind, and all of this will stop. And it, uh, and he at each it. point in time, he, he refused. They would put him back in the cell with a noose hanging right above his head. I believe in, in all um, sincerity and sacredness, but the, I want people to understand the limit of the, or like the degree of the torture. This would have been beatings on the bottom of his feet, which is common in the Islamic world, mm-hmm. very common. Yeah. Would beat the bottoms of his feet with clubs or sticks. They would beat his, uh, around the kidney area, the lower mm-hmm. back, the internal organs, right. because it, it's very painful mm-hmm. and it also creates a long-term effect. Right. They would torture him uh, by uh, like, like attacking the genital area right. with different torture yeah. devices yeah. that were meant to inflict pain and yeah. fear and intimidation. Um. And through all of this, yeah, they did not want him to be able to walk or reproduce. That's that. That's the best way to explain that. When they're done, they've taken away his ability to walk or reproduce. Right. So that if he does eventually, in the end, before they actually kill mm-hmm. him, recant. Right. The rest of his life, he's marked exactly. by the fact that he chose to follow Jesus for a season. Right. And coming right. back to Islam, mm-hmm. he'll never forget what what it took mm-hmm. to get to come back. And he stood firm because he was willing to die. He's already turned down a million dollars to come back. Now he's willing to die because he believes that his this would be martyrdom that would not only glorify the Lord, right. but that would lead to the salvation of these people. But then also because his faith was sincere. Right. And Jesus sure. has told us it, mm-hmm. a sincere faith will endure to the end. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about that. So this goes on Friday night, you know, we're up all night. I'm on the phone with you. Dan and I are talking, I mean, every hour, half hour, you know, trying to get updates, trying to figure out what we should do. You know, can we stay in the city? Are things going to get bad for others? Trying to get a plan together for whatever may happen. And um, this goes on all night long. You know, we had gotten to a point of just so much despair. I remember at some point in the conversation, we started using his name in past tense um, mm. because we were so – I mean, shaken by the severity of the this, of this situation. Um, and Saturday was my kid's birthday. And I remember my wife, she's like, yeah, I know that, like, this is really bad what's going on with Amir, but, you know, we also got a birthday party today. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of all this, just mm-hmm. feeling like my whole body's on fire, we're cutting a birthday cake, singing happy birthday to wow. you. And trying to be a dad in that situation, trying to parent in that situation, was almost more than I could do. Um, and that was really hard to stay that dynamic as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a church planner, mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, dad to support a, you know, a toddler and an older kid. And then also, you know, being a, being a husband, being a team leader, being a church planner, you know, trying to, you know, on that Saturday, all of those roles just kind of, you know, sloshed into one barrel in a really weird way, in a really ugly way. And it was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday was was pretty difficult um, because you're not. You're, I mean, at this point, they've taken his phone, yeah. So you have no communication. Mm-hmm. At this point, all you know was that last text. They're taking me out of the city, right? Yeah. So you, and I remember when we talked, 
in the middle of all that, and I'd you know I'd gone gone live and put out a plea to people, please, please, please pray. Um, I remember it was the assumption was he's dead. There's no way he's still alive. Yeah, he's dead now. Mm-hmm. And this went for hours. Yeah, and so he works through. I mean, he's gone through, um, just round after round after round of torture. You know, this goes on all day Saturday. This goes on all day Sunday. You know, Sunday churches are meeting. We're doing all we can. I mean, we're riding the line on how much information that we can get out security-wise because we want for people to be praying. Amir wants people to be praying. Um, and um, Monday morning, maybe early in the morning. You called me. <clears throat> yeah. So, okay, we had met Sunday evening here. Right, 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 right. At 6 That's o'clock. Right. And mm-hmm. I'd spoken with you that afternoon. Mm-hmm. Six o'clock. Yep. Five or six o'clock our time. Five mm-hmm. o'clock our time. Mm-hmm. We meet for church to have church right. to have Sunday worship at Red Oak Church. I'm about to walk on stage to preach. All right. Our the the worship team is leading us in worship, and I, and you called. Right. That's right. Yeah. I stepped outside on the mm-hmm. porch during worship, and you said, "He's out." Right. Yeah. And um, there was someone and. This story, I'm going to have to leave out big chunks of this story. But um, basically, he's locked in his cell, and there was uh, one of the soldiers um, had, with what he understood of the situation, um, decided to help Amir. And at that point, uh, a family member of Amir's showed up to help Amir escape. And um, the way Amir tells the story is basically he's, in that small cell with the metal door and he just hears someone trying to get the keys in the door. Keys are thrown open. That soldier standing there and saying, run. And as he runs, he sees um, basically um, a family member of his confronting those guards and helping him to escape. Um, He basically runs out of the house and um, he escaped. And I think... (coughs) I don't know if there's anything in there that we would say was uh, a miracle, even though it was miraculous, but it was a violent escape. Yeah, there, he was hardly able to walk. I believe he had to be helped to a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And these two people that helped him, we still, to this day, don't know yeah, what don't happened know. to move them to do that. We don't know. And so he escaped. We get a, we get a phone message, you know, uh, and basically we go and find him. We just, uh, Dan and I both... Um, He's just in a house in the city, just somebody who knew where he could be there for the night. But even the person that he, the house he was in, they didn't know the story. Um, and we just found him laying on the ground, and we just held him, and he wept and wept and wept and wept and wept, cried and cried. And and, um, and what he had seen in that escape was pretty violent. Yeah, he was traumatized. I mean, what he saw happen for mm-hmm. those two people to get him out of there. It was bad. With all of the opposition, it mm-hmm. wasn't a peaceful escape. Right. There was there was violence. There was bloodshed. Mm-hmm. He was carried out of there and escaped, and, and all of it very confusing. Right. And we, um, so from there we spent the next several weeks moving him from place to place. Um, got him, I think got him medically evaluated. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. After that. Africa Inland Mission compound there. Yeah, we were able, yeah, we had to basically, um, be extremely careful. We found a doctor that was kind of unrelated to the situation entirely, had him checked out medically, 
um, got him medication and then found a place where he could just uh, basically heal. And I would go every day, um, every day. I would go and bring him a, a sandwich or whatever leftovers that we had, and I would just go take him food, and I would go and read the Bible with him. We'd pray, we'd sing, we you know, did a video call with you, yep, you know, during that time. Yep. Um, and he just laid in that hotel room and consumed the Word of God. He read. And, go ahead. He read and read and read. Um, and that was one of the big kind of turning points in his in his testimony because in his language, they don't yet have the full Bible, but there was a related language where he was able to get the, uh, the Old Testament. And so during that time, he had been working with the Old Testament, but he had never sat down and just... Um, studied through the Old Testament. So during those weeks of hiding, um, he went back through the Old Testament and and, uh, and worked his way um, all the way through, back through the, the Old Testament, back through the Holy Scripture, and spent just a season of just being immersed, just soaking in the Word of God. I remember when, when during that time when I had a video call with y'all and <clears throat> we were talking... And he said, uh, he said, you know, it's interesting. Many people who follow Jesus, if Jesus gives them something sweet, right. they're happy. Yeah. They worship Jesus. That's right. But when he gives them something bitter, and he took right. his hands, and he, mm-hmm. they give, when he gives them something bitter, mm-hmm. they don't like it. Right. But he said, whether Jesus gives me that which is bitter that which is or sweet. that which is sweet, I will follow Jesus. Absolutely. I, I like I, it. It's it, it. It impacted that one conversation. Impacted yeah. my life as much as anything's ever impacted yeah. my life. Um, it's amazing. This, this man's faith is amazing. This man's been a Christian for barely over a year, right? And he's so far ahead of where I am in my life. It's just unbelievable. So, it, just to wrap this thing up, and I want to take the, the next few minutes and sort of uh, that that all happened. At the very beginning of this year, we're, we're six right. months later now. Where, what is the state of the church there? Right. You guys got him back to health. We bought him a motorcycle. That's we right. showed it on a Sunday night. We put oh, it up yeah. at church. Mm-hmm. Him sitting on that motorcycle. Mm-hmm. He's so proud. Yeah. Um, so that he could more effectively travel around the city and not have to walk so much, but get from point A to point B. Right. So, how has the church planning movement accelerated after all of that? Mm-hmm. Where is the, like, has he been seen persecution since then? Right. And then, Currently, I, I want to end. We'll come back to this in just a minute, but things are very difficult right now. Mm-hmm. He, there was some peace and reprieve there for a while. So, what is the state of the church that he's leading in that movement? Right. And uh, and and what has happened since that escape? Yeah. So after he escaped, um, we moved right back into discipleship. He was he tried to regain contact with his churches and the new group of believers that had just been had just been planted and that took some time because he was trying to figure out you know what's the best way to kind of you know what's his level of security and how can he move so he had to stay in pretty much modified hiding during that time um, he goes through all of that situation and keep in mind he's got his twin brother who's been following Christ during that time following his story trying to support him um, and after that his mother uh, she died of natural causes um, it was a terrible time of uh grief for Amir because he felt like so much of his support system and had been taken away from him. Um, and then it was just a few weeks after that, um, I got a phone call and his 
brother who was coming to the city like that next week and was going to be a church leader and work together with Amir. Um, he had been stabbed to death. That was a very difficult time, a very it, difficult few because days. Because of his faith. Because of his faith. Yeah. yeah. And we grieved with him, grieved and grieved and grieved with him. Um, during that very difficult time, uh, it was hard for sure. You know, Amir basically escapes death and his brother. Um, who he led to Christ. Who he led to Christ, yeah, just a few weeks before. His brother ends up um, giving his life for Christ. Um, at this time, we're going back deep in the Word, um, continuing on to study because Amir had worked out a plan with these networks of um, churches that he was he was discipling the leaders and they were teaching from there. Um, as the months went on, he was able to feel uh, more free to move around the city. Um, there were more believers that had come into Christ, even his family. And then from there, um, we saw just another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And since this year, I mean, as bad as 2020 has been, in that city we've seen over 200 baptisms, um, almost 100 people um, meeting together to take the Lord's Supper for the first time, um, multiple groups um, that have emerged that are being discipled into churches with their own leadership, and it's just been incredible. 200 Christ followers in yeah. a place where just a little over a year ago there were no real known believers in any right. sort of a church planting movement. In right, from, yeah, from, from a certain group of tribes. From this group of people. And you and I were sitting a couple of weeks ago, right after you'd gotten back stateside, we're sitting on my porch, had a fire going. It was late one evening, and a couple of other brothers from the church here uh, were sitting around, and you got, a, you got a message from Amir saying that 90 yeah. believers had just taken the Lord's Supper for the first time uh-huh. together in communion from different backgrounds in a hostile region where war and infighting is common. So the gospel is prevailing there, and uh, but but lastly, it's important that people continue to pray for Amir because there's been an uptick in potential right. persecution, even maybe to the mm-hmm. point of needing to move him right. out of the region for mm-hmm. a season. Yeah, so things in Sudan have been tough, been real tough. I mean, if you're following the news, you can see, you know, just that ebb and flow of instability that's gone on, and then on a local level within our city, I mean, right. I mean, right now, today, there's over over 300 new believers who are basically meeting and accounted for, and this is spread out over 39 uh, separate groups that go throughout the city and, um, you know, beyond... 39? Yeah, 39. Equivalent of, like, house churches. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 300 believers meeting... Listen, 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 listen. Yeah. Be challenged and encouraged that the gospel is going forward right. on planet Earth. 39 churches meeting in homes in a city where it is not okay to do this among these people groups. Over 300 believers accounted for. And so because of this, it's it's drawn a lot of attention from the government. It's drawn a lot of attention from basically from Amir's tribe. Um, And then just recently, um, it seems like that there's been some tribal ruling against him specifically that he has to be stopped and so 
um, right now we just ask for your prayers because he's again in hiding. Um, and we are doing everything we can to try to support him, to try to help him, to make sure that he knows that he has everything that he needs in, in Christ and fellowship. And I mean, the question that he's dealing with right now is what to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's different examples of that in the New Testament, particularly with the missionary Paul. And he's trying to figure out right now, I mean, is God calling him to run? Mm-hmm. Or is God calling him to the ministry of martyrdom? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's working through um, right now. We're doing everything we can to try to support him, get him what, what he needs, keep him safe, and then to try to um, support these 39 groups, um, all young believers. And he's their pastor. And he's their pastor, yeah. And, I mean, you know, he's been a, a believer right now for about 18 months, and um, he's been a Christian the longest out of any of these. So it's a big... Uh, um, it's a big deal right now for him. He wants to be able to, you know, shepherd these groups as well as he possibly can, to raise up new lever- leaders, to replace himself in each group, so that um, uh, yeah, so that the um, so that th- this movement can continue no matter what happens to him if he if he changes uh, location or if he's taken out. And and <clears throat> the way that we would ask. Our, our followers and listeners and supporters to pray is just for, I don't know if you heard what Bobby said there, but the, what a decision I'm praying. And I'm asking God, do you want me to hide for a season and let the church continue to grow without my leadership? Or do you want me to lead until martyrdom takes me? Are you calling me to be a martyr? That's what he's wrestling with right now. And so we're going to be praying, continuing to pray. I hope this has been encouraging, challenging, convicting, and and uh, that these three episodes will will bring you not just up to speed on what's going on going on in in Amir's life and in that part of the world, and and more chapters to the story, but that it'll that it'll invigorate your belief and your confidence in the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God, the power of God to 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 work and grow and endure through persecution. In the first century, Tertullian said, second century, Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And God uses persecution oftentimes. Um, and let's pray that, that our brother Amir and those that he's leading and encouraging will, will remain faithful and leave uh, this verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Our brother's faith is strong, and he's endured so much to this point, and he's willing to endure much more. Let's at least not shrink back from praying for him, praying for Bobby, praying for Dan, and those that are going to encourage. There are others um, who are serving there. Blue, who many of you know, Blue and Britt, are are part of that work and that movement and several others from snowbird that are that are that are there and um yeah let's let's just pray that the lord continues to grow the work in that city in that region like something we've never seen in our lives thanks for joining and uh 
We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.